How many of you guys have ever lost your friends because of that big argument? How many of you, how many of you guys have ever had friends where <clears throat> you said you were really close and you love one another? Well, you might not say that you love one another. You're really close. You feel like it's your best friend in the world. Something happens, right? And then you end up not talking to that person again. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to deal with it. You just kind of drift apart. You ever have that? And so uh, like in, in maybe in ninth grade, he was your best friend. And in the 10th grade, you don't even talk to him, right? It happens all the time. <laughs> Lately in our uh, sermons, we've been talking a lot about um, growing intimate with people, right? And I'm not talking about romantic intimacy, which, which, which is good later. I'm trying to get some of our college students to start dating people, uh, but they won't. They refuse. <laughs> um, they're afraid of boys. They're afraid of girls. Um, we didn't talk about intimacy. So what I begin to notice is a lot of us are not good at intimacy. We're not good at developing deep friendship. And so what ends up happening is we start to put ourselves out there. We start to become more intentional. We start to have conversations like this. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Now, how are you really doing? And they're like, huh? <laughs> right? They're a little bit nervous. Right? And then they start to talk about their feelings. And they never talked about it before in their life. And all of a sudden, they're listening. And you feel really close, right? And you're becoming more and more intimate and becoming best friends. And you're just like, this is awesome. I'm, not, I'm, I'm finally not feeling lonely. I finally feel like people understand me. And then what happens? The first conflict happens. Right? And just like you're not really that great at intimacy yet, you're really not good at dealing with conflict. Right? Because what does our generation do? What does our generation do with conflict? Ignore it. Put it on the internet, they write crap about you on Facebook. I'm so sick and tired of people, you know, they say things like that. They don't deal with it, they don't tell you, or the one they do, they'll go tell, your, uh, tell their friends about you, right? So like, let's say there'll be like five of you, and then like somebody makes you mad, and it's really annoying you, and then you're like, hey, have you noticed something's wrong with this, 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 this person? And then they start talking like, yeah, I thought, and they, they pretend like they really care, right? They're like, we need to talk to them together. No, really, it's just that they're just annoying you and you just don't want me to deal with it, right? This is what we do. And so you will meet people, I swear, you will meet people that have walking with Jesus forever, like they're pastors or they're, they're in ministry or they're in missions or they're like really responsible and seem like they have good relationships, but they will be completely and totally dysfunctional when it comes to uh, dealing with conflict. I, I know because I've worked in churches all my life. I've worked in mission organizations, parachurch organizations. I volunteer with people. I know a lot of people, and that's the thing that I notice the most. Everyone can get their act together. They can be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a mature person. I'm a godly person. I'm a nice person. But they cannot deal with conflict. They cannot deal with conflict in a way that brings about change. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So for me, my story is one time, not one time, when I was in high school, I was at 10th grade, um, have you ever been, have you ever moved to another city before? Whenever you move to another city, when you walk in, you're like, I'm going to, I decide I'm going to be like this. And I'm going to be cool. Or I'm going to be uncool. I'm going to be nerd. I'm going to be like a jock. I'm going to be, you know, you can just kind of decide and reinvent yourself. So I kind of reinvented myself. I came to this school. It was in Washington, uh, not Washington, D.C., Charlotte, North Carolina, right? And I go into this school and, you know, I'm just going to be like, I'm going to be athletic. Because before I was a druggie pothead. And I was like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be an athlete. I'm gonna, you know, and so I started hanging out with a certain kind of people, uh, group of people, uh, like sports guys. I started getting into wrestling. But there was this kid. His name was Shane, right? And Shane looked. He had a mullet. He had a mustache. He looked creepy. And he was like, he was like in 11th grade, and I was in 11th grade at that time. Like I just right, right when I uh, finished this, uh, the, the, the sophomore year. 
And I met him, right? And, and he was kind of going through some stuff with his parents. And he, he decides, you know, uh, uh, I can't go home. And I'm like, why? You know, my dad told me I, I'm not allowed to come back home. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'm not a Christian at this point. And I just said, okay, hey, well, you can stay at my house. Right? And, of course, no one has ever been nice to this guy or that because he's kind of a creepy kind of guy, right? And I just, I just started hanging out with him, and then him and I developed this friendship. I tell him to stay. He can stay with us. His, his father finally gives in and says, hey, you know, like, come home. And so he goes home. But ever since then, it kind of struck him, like, oh, wow, you're, you're a really good friend, right? We went through a lot together. Like, um, oh, he was the kid in marching band. You remember I was telling you about marching band? I would bring my guitar, and we'd go in, like, competitions. Our marching band school, our school was a big marching band school, and we would compete all over North Carolina. It was awesome. And so there was all these girls that would hang out. I'd play guitar and sing to them. And then, like, he was my other buddy. And we didn't play any instruments, like marching band instruments. We weren't in the marching band. We were roadies. We moved equipment. Like the xylophone, we moved the xylophone like that. And the, and the marching band director was like, why are you doing this? And we're like, we just, we just love marching band. It's good. But really, we just wanted to meet girls, you know? And so we moved these xylophones. And he was the guy that came with me. Like, we were like, he was my wingman, and I was his wingman. And we just, you know, we, we did everything together. And then after we graduated high school, I, you know, I started to, uh, to walk with the Lord in some way. Right? So I started following Jesus, and I started to, to kind of lose all my other friends because they were really kind of you know, bad influences on me. So I started walking away and started getting, getting brand new friends. And Shane was the guy that I remember, like, graduation day, he was, like, really angry at me, like, really mad. And he wrote this really dramatic letter because he and high school were really dramatic. You don't know that you're dramatic yet, but you will find out when you look back. You're like, oh, it's so dramatic. He wrote this really dramatic letter. I look back, it's like this, talking about his feelings and how, like, you know, we were dead to one another and all those things. It was just, I was like, all right, whatever. You know, I just kept going. And, uh, and it, like, a year later, he contacts me, and we, for some reason, just start hanging out again. And we would stay up at night and, and go to this restaurant that was all night long. I saw Ric Flair there. Did you ever hear of Ric Flair? Yeah. It's WWE. Whoa! Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we would, we would hang out, and I just, we just got talking about my faith. And he was, like, so, like, it, you're saying that God is so desperate to come after me. This is what he was saying, because I we were having a conversation about Jesus. <laughs> saying God is so desperate to come after me that he will start to arrange my life in which all of the things that I value that are really important to me, God will start taking those things away in order to bring me to a place of brokenness and desire for God. I'm like, yeah, maybe. And he's like, would, would, he, take, would he take you away from me? That's what he asked me. It's really weird. It's kind of awkward because we're bros. He's like, would, you, would he take you away from me? I'm like, Maybe. He, you mean God might, like, let you die so that I'll become a Christian? I'm like, this is the weirdest conversation ever. Like, yes, maybe. You know, and he's like, I don't, want, I don't want to lose you. I'm like, okay. We just cut some candy. <laughs> and and we, just, we just talked. And then so a couple hours later, we're talking in the car, and he's like, I, I want to follow Jesus. And I'm like, are you sure? And we just go through this whole thing about what it is to follow Jesus. He's like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I'm like, okay. And I pray for him. He prays, he, he, you know, does a sinner's prayer. And then after it was over, he was like, wow, I don't really feel any different. I'm like, just wait till tomorrow, you'll feel different. <laughs> tomorrow, you'll feel different. But he started growing in the Lord. Like, we were just really, really, really close. We had ups and downs and all this kind of stuff. And then he eventually came to Wyland with me. I went to Youth with a Mission, was a missionary for nine years. He even was a roommate at my house. He was roommates with Josiah, actually, when Josiah was an infant. Josiah was like this baby and Shane was his roommate <laughs> in my apartment. So um, we were really close. He was really close with my wife, my family, you know, all this kind of stuff. And 
he just started getting really bitter about like missions and how hard it was to do ministry and like because we were all supported by people that want to give us money and nobody was giving him money and my wife nobody was giving me and my wife any money but he thought because like we had continued to grow in leadership positions that you know like we were being blessed and so he started getting really jealous and like bitter it was it was kind of crazy um, and it culminated in this one time when we were in the office on a Saturday we were trying to hook up some kids to play video games yeah I'm really sure so we're playing video games, and um, I asked him to hand me something, and I'm like, "Could you, you know, could you grab that over there for me?" He's like, "Get it yourself." I'm like, "Dude, whoa, what's your problem?" And I stood up, not to fight him, you know, like we're grown men. I have babies. It's not like you know, like come on, <laughs> you know. And uh, I'm like, "What's your problem?" You know. And then we kind of walk over to the opening area, you know. I'm like, "Come on, man, what do you, what's your what's your problem?" And then he goes, "Bam!" He punches me in the face two times. It's like, "Bam, bam!" I'm like. <laughs> you know, like in movies, you're like, oh, you, <laughs> you hit him back. I was just like stunned. I'm like, you just punched me in the face two times, right? And I'm checking to see my nose bleeding or broken, not broken or bleeding. I'm just like, what's it? And I say a lot of bad words because I'm human, right? And we're best friends. We've been best friends since like 10th grade. And I'm like cussing at him. I'm like, what's the matter with you? Why would you punch me in the face? And he's like, I thought you were going to punch me. I'm like, oh, why would I punch you? I have babies. I'm a grown man. Why would I punch you? I'm like touching my nose. I go in the bathroom, and there's other, like, YWAM staff, or, like, watching. They're, like, like they're watching TV. They're, like, in popcorn. <laughs> I can't believe this. You know, I go to the bathroom. So he runs out of the office, right? And um, I go home. I tell my wife, Shane punched me in the face two times. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And then uh, he comes and knocks on my door a couple hours later, and he's crying. He's like, I'm really sorry that I did that. Right? I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah, I'm like, I forgive you. This is fine. You know, like it was a misunderstanding. You're doing okay. Everything's, you know. Seems like everything's going bad for you right now. You're just sitting there like, kind of tells me a little bit of all that stuff. A couple years later, um, he joins the military. He goes to the Air Force. And we, when we left, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, see you. You know, may God bless you, that kind of thing. And then our relationship was over. We never talked again after that. Well, he did, no, no, in boot camp, he did write me one letter. And it was like really emotional, and, like how hard it was. Everyone was yelling at him. This is Air Force. I didn't think people were yelling at you in the Air Force, did it? Anybody know what that is? So he wrote me this letter, and so I wrote him this, back, this letter back immediately. And after that, we haven't talked since. And that was like 10, 12, 14 years ago. Right? We haven't talked since. And you look at these relationships and you think, you know what? You look around you and you think, oh, um, everything's going to be fine. Like, you think that your relationships naturally lend yourself to sustaining themselves. Like, you think that if you don't do anything, like, really dramatic, your relationships will just continue on as they always have. But that's, that's not true. Just like you have to be intentional in your relationships about developing intimacy, becoming deeper, asking the hard questions, confronting one another, loving one another. It's hard, you have to be really intentional about it. You have to live on purpose. You can't just wake up and say, oh, I'm gonna hang out with Adrian today. I'm gonna hang out with Ashley today. I'm gonna hang out with Andrew today and, and not really talk about anything. Your relationships will not become more deeper. It will not, you have to be intentional about it. Just like you have to be intentional in developing relationships, you have to be intentional in keeping relationships. You have to be intentional in it. That means when you get pissed off at your best friend, that means you have to be intentional about it. Not about getting him back, not about you know, hurting him back or, or whatever, but you have to be intentional about what? This is, I love this passage that we just read. Or, uh, so beautiful. What is, the, what is the goal? 
He says here, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have won your brother back. That is the absolute goal, or sister, right? That is the absolute goal. You want that to happen. So your brother or sister offends you, hurts your feelings, does something against you, uses you, abuses you, whatever way, right? And you go and confront them. The goal is to gain them back. But the problem is we don't live like that, right? This last two weeks, I've been hearing um, story after story after story about students in our ministry. They're saying, I'm having conflict with this person, this person, this person, this person. And they're so, so adamant about their hurt and how they feel that they forget that the number one goal, this is it, this is your only goal, is to gain your brother back, to win your brother back, to gain back that brother or sister. That's the goal. We forget. We think that the goal becomes, I need to win my argument. I need to make them see what I, uh, what, what I feel. I need them to feel what I feel. That, you think that's the goal, but it's not. It's to gain your brother back. It's to gain your sister back. And if you do not keep that in mind, you will lose. Your relationship will lose. And this is, the, this is the other tricky part is a lot of times people think that by the end they get to this point where they're in conflict with somebody, then maybe they don't want that relationship anymore. They're like, ah, oh, well, I, I don't know why I liked you anyway. But this is the fact, okay? This is the fact. You will never have a lifelong best friend. Lifelong, that's the goal, right? That we do life together for all of our earthly life. You will never have a lifelong best friend in which you will not have, have had a knockdown, drag out fight. If you have a lifelong best friend in which you've never had a fight, you're probably not best friends. You're probably not as intimate as you think you are. Right? Because this is the deal. I know for certain that I'm broken, right? And I know for sure that you guys are broken. So when two broken people get together, they don't make music. They don't make melody. They make fights. They make separation. They make brokenness. They double the brokenness. Brokenness cubed. Or squared, squared, math. <laughs> what was that? You get what I'm saying? That that is a natural result, right? So if you're not in conflict, in deep conflict with some of your friends at some point in your life, that your relationship is not tested. Me and Trevor have been best friends since I, since she was 18, I was 20. We've been best friends for that long. I'm 38. What is that? So 18 years. We've been best friends for 18 years. You know how many times we fight? We fight so much. We are, and he's. He's a professor at, at a Bible college, a seminary. He's well-respected. He's, the, he's the, uh, um, the assistant director to the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, like the premier uh, Muslim Studies Center in the whole United States, actually the whole world. Right? I'm, a, I'm a pastor here at a Delta Korean Methodist Church. Right? I have five kids. He has three kids. We fight all the time. And about stupid crap, like really stupid crap. One time uh, we were like kayaking, and he drank all the, the, like, the soda. I'm like, what? Why would you do that? Why didn't you save some for you know other people? I'm so so mad. He, we were like, you know, you're thirsty, you're high, you don't want to just drink water. The water's kind of lukewarm. The cooler, the ice, you know. And he drank all of it. And I really like that night. I just couldn't talk to him. I was so mad. I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know. Like we did, we we fight over stupid crap all the time. That's 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 the reality of it. But this is the beauty of it, you know. Two years, ago, two years ago, him and I had this knockdown drive. He, he, he conf uh, confronted me on some things that he thought I was doing wrong, um, but he did it really mean. Like, he was mean and harsh, right? And it broke me, and I just, like, felt like crap, and, like, it bothered me. It bothered me, bothered me deeply. 
right? And for the, like the next month, like I didn't want to even look at him or talk to him. But I would, we would hang out because we go to guys' night every Thursday night. I didn't want to look at him, hang out with him. I definitely <laughs> want to, didn't want to tell him about my problems or anything in my life because he was no longer a safe person, right? But th that, throughout that entire time, we both showed each other something. He would constantly tell me, hey, I'm committed to you. Even though, like, you know, we, we got in a fight. I'm committed to you. And I told him, I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. We both knew. Like, it would have been, like, normal people would have just left. They would have just broke the relationship and gone. But we were both like, nope, I'm committed to you. It was amazing. It sucked. It was horrible. But now, this is the thing about it. It's like, now, two years later, I look back, and I think, you know what? It doesn't matter what I go through with that guy. He will always be there. And it doesn't matter what I, he goes through with me. I, I will be there. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's this deep, deep, deep sense of, of security and loyalty that you just don't see anywhere else whenever you are in conflict and not know how to deal with it. Yeah? All right, so let's look through this passage real quick. Um, if your brother or, uh, sins against you, brother or sister, sins against you. So who's your brother or sister? This is Jesus talking to who? Is Jesus talking to Christians? Disciples. People that he was preaching to. It was not Christians. There's no such thing. Jesus is still alive. It's like, hey, right? This is not the church. He's talking to general population, right? So your brothers and sisters, anybody that you consider a brother and sister, right? Sins against you. Sins. What does that mean? Do something wrong against you, right? Now, we probably don't call it that, but if somebody hurts your feelings, that's a sin, right? If somebody does something, uses you, talks bad about you, whatever you might think, you know? That's sin, right? So how do we deal with it? When he sins against you, go and tell him his fault or her fault, right? So why is that so uncomfortable? Just imagine yourself right now. You come up to me and say, hey, Kyung really hurt my feelings, right? Let's say uh, Austin comes to me and says, Kyung really hurt my feelings. This happens all the time. Austin comes to me and says, Kyung hurt my feelings. And I say, all right, let's look at this passage. It says, go and tell him his fault. What's, what's going to be the problem? Anybody? <laughs> That's messed up. Can we go talk after this? <laughs> it's really uncomfortable for Austin, isn't it? Anybody telling anyone their faults? Do you usually tell people their faults? And if you do tell them their faults, is it usually like in a in a in a healthy way? Right? This is what I this is what happens in my life or traditionally when I was younger, right? I would just, you know, somebody would hurt my feelings, I would pretend like they didn't hurt my feelings. Then they would hurt my feelings again, I'd pretend like they didn't hurt my then they would do it again, do it again, and then I would punch them in the face. And I would call them names. I'm kind of not dealing well with confrontations. That's not healthy, right? I let it build up, build up, because I don't have the courage to tell them right then, say, hey, you know what, that really hurt my feelings. And I know that does take courage, and that does take trust to tell somebody that they hurt you, right? And not to drag them through the mud with it. Go and tell them their faults. Between you and him alone, now that's a Because Austin has probably told Katie, told Chris, and told Robin how Kyung hurt his feelings again. I'm, am I right? Do you guys know what that's called? It's a great word. Triangulation. You know what that sounds like? Strangulation. <laughs> I just think about that triangle of friends coming towards you and strangling you. Triangulation. That's called triangulation. And I love Jesus. He's like, between you and him alone. So Kyung hurts your feelings. Austin's like, I just need to tell somebody. I need to vent. I need to let this out. No, you don't. You need to go, hey, Kyung, you hurt my feelings. And Kyung's like, oh, I did? I'm sorry. 
Or if Kyung says, no, I didn't, and walks away, then you know, you now who know how Kyung is. <laughs> right? You might want to choose better friends. But you get this idea, you, you, go, you go to him alone. And we suck at that in our society. We tell everybody. I mean, I, I'm a witness here. I mean, like, people have come to me like this last few weeks, conflict after conflict after conflict. Everyone comes and tells me, which is fine. They're coming to me like as the church, but they're not expecting me to do anything about it. Right? So I'm about to call a family meeting. <laughs> Austin, Kyung, Kyung, what'd you say to Austin? <laughs> you know, we call a family meeting. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Remember, that's the goal. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along. That's when you introduce something. Because this is the deal. You might think, okay, well, how is that okay? How is it okay for you know, Austin to go get Robin and Katie to go confront Kyung? How is that okay? What is the goal? Gaining your brother back or your sister back. That is the goal. And so when Kyung has a group of people, like two or three people, right, that are his family, that he knows that love him, all of a sudden he's like, okay, if they all are in agreement, and Kyung makes his case and says, okay, this is what this is how it happened. This is what, you know. But basically, you're trying to gain your brother back. It's not so that you can gain up like triangulation, strangulation, coming around and strangling the guy. It's because you want to win your brother back. So Austin, don't pick people that hate Kyung. Right? Get Kyung's ex-girlfriend, you know, get his uh, little brother. All right, we're gonna go talk to Kyung, you know? No, you know? Kyung doesn't have a little brother or an ex-girlfriend. But <laughs> but if he did, Austin, don't get him, all right? But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What does that mean? That they, everyone hears the sides, everyone hears what's going on. So they're, they're unbiased, right? That's important. Evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, so they hear it and they're like, you know, Kyung, and you know, just real unbiased. Kyung, we really think you're wrong still, and you need to apologize to Austin. Right? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and you get Howard, or you get the pastor, or you get, you know, someone else, an elder. <clears throat> and I know this is really archaic. This is what the church used to do all the time. Did you know what would happen? They would, when they treat you like a Gentile tax collector, they would refuse you communion. You were no longer to take communion. That's why they call it excommunicating. Have you ever heard that term? It's kind of a dirty word in Catholic uh, parlance and, and, and uh, evangelical parlance. It's excommunicating. You are no longer allowed to take communion. That's a big, big deal. You know why? Because when you partake in communion, you are partaking of the body of Christ, right? And doing it together as a family in the body of Christ. So you are no longer a part of the body of Christ. You are outcast. And that's why Lent was formed. Do you guys know what Lent is? Well, some people think it's like, oh, that's the, that's the couple of days that I don't eat chocolate. No, no, Lent is that time where you have repentance. You spend a lot of those, those people that have been excommunicated. They have repentance, and then they're brought back into the fold and allowed to have communion again. It's powerful, powerful. But we don't do that anymore because the church members are here. If you don't like me, and we try to bring church discipline on you, like saying, hey, you know, we're confronting you on your sin, Right? Then you're like, I'm going to the next church. I'm going to AKBC. I'm going to go full gospel. Right? That's, that's generally what people do. So nobody is submitted to one another. That's what's so, so, so hard. So what do we do? Is the church, if the church is not an influencer right, in someone's life, cannot hold from them communion, and for you, communion probably is not that big of a deal, not like in the liturgical church or the older church, right? It's probably not that big of a deal. So if you're held, if communion is held uh, away from you, you just go home and have communion with a, a group of friends. So what do you do if the church has no power and no influence in it? 
This is why the community is so important, the two or three others. Or being a part of a church that you submit to. I'm telling you, man, like, we have really, really confused the influence of the church or the, the role of the church. We think that churches have to have good preaching and have to have good music and have to have people that are friendly. That's how people shop for churches. That's wrong. You go to a church where you're looking where you can plug in, where you can serve, where you can worship God together with a group of people. It's not about their sermons. I don't care about sermons. I, I don't really care about sermons. Sermons don't change your life. I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. Like my little thirty-minute sermon is not going to change your life. I'm sorry. Do you know what's going to change your life? The Holy Spirit, the community, you spending time with the Lord at home, reading the Word, right? Studying the Bible, applying the Bible. You can come in here and listen every Sunday, and your life is totally the same. That's why we have churches. That's why you have that term uh, pew sitters. It's people that just come and sit in these church pew, listen to sermons, and they think their life is going to change. Singing a couple songs is not going to change your life. Right? There's more to it. The church is way, way, way more alive than that. And so you have to submit yourself to the church and being a part of the church and transforming the church so that it would be what God has called the church to be. Right? So that when the time comes and that they do call the church, say, hey, you know what, Chung's not living here. Howard, can you help? And I go and I represent the church and I talk to Chung about it. And if Chung is submitted to the church, he listens, he's like, you know what, if all of you guys think that what I did was wrong, then I'm going to submit to your leadership. I'm going to say, okay. I'm going to ask the Lord to, to reveal it to me, and I'm going to spend time thinking about it, because apparently I'm not seeing something. You can see how growth would happen very, 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 very quickly. But what ends up happening, we just ignore it. We ignore it, we ignore it, we ignore it, we ignore it. And everyone's just walking around like, not getting help. We've got to get good at conflict management, right? And then this is the sad part. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That means you are outside of our community. We are desperately trying to bring you into a community where you feel like you're part of this family. And that we serve one another. We love one another. We worship together. We, we do ministry together, right? We desperately want you to be a part of this family. But when you do this and you refuse to deal with sin, deal with stuff in your heart, right, that, that other people are coming in and are trying to hold you accountable to, when you stop, when you refuse, then you're, you're refusing to take part in this community. That's what you are. That's what you're doing. So what does that mean for us? I know that some of you guys are thinking, well, to be honest with you, I do not trust everyone in here enough to let them confront me. That's fair. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of you guys are high schoolers and middle schoolers. Well, middle schoolers are downstairs. But high schoolers, it's really, really hard to be emotionally mature enough to confront somebody in love and do it in a healthy way. Our college students and young adults, it's the same thing. Uh, heck, adults have a hard time confronting well. Right? So how do we do that? How do we learn? This is really, really practical. If you came here for like an emotional sermon, you know, it's going to change your life. It's probably, well, it might change your life, but it's super practical. And I love Jesus because he's super practical. I don't even know how. 
but it's called active listening. How many of you guys ever heard of active listening? Anybody? Uh, when I was doing my master's degree in counseling, okay, I didn't end up doing my counseling degree because I decided I hated counseling, so I switched degrees, degree programs. But when I was doing my master's degree in counseling, I had all I did all the classes. All I had left was like the internship. But we did this thing called active listening, and you know, whenever you like you, you're learning some skill, you're kind of bored. You're like, okay, let's see how this goes, right? And you're supposed to listen in such a way that the person wants to tell tells you their life, their life story. Right? And I say, okay, let's let's see how this goes. And I say, sit down. And they, they bring out this example, and they're like, okay, now you try to do this. And so I sit down with this guy, and he's actively listening. He's just asking me questions about my life. Oh my gosh, I've never had a deeper conversation in my life. It was crazy. The way he was just talking to me and asking questions, and this is totally an exercise. This wasn't like, like um, I'm acting. Like he, the way he was asking me questions, and we were doing active listening. Like I really wanted to tell him everything about my life, and I had this deep understanding that he was really concerned for me and cared about me. I was, I was like shocked. Like I can't believe it. And then we said, okay, the part, the time was up. We said, all right, switch. So then I started active listening to this dude, and he felt exactly the same way. And, and the thing is, what it wasn't like that we were really good at active listening. We, we just followed the rules, the rules of active listening. And we all of a sudden wanted to share our hearts with one another. But we do a lot of, like, then I, then I start hanging out with my guys, and I, uh, my guys, and I realized how much we interrupt each other, how much we suck at listening, how much we don't even make eye contact, how much we look down or look at our phones or, uh, uh, you know, look at something else, like squirrel, like, you know, when you're up, you know? It's like, like, we do that so many times. And I just started to realize I need to be committed to being an active listener. And I think it's, it's paid off. In a lot of ways, I think a lot of people tell me a lot more than, um, than others, probably because I just try to listen as much as I can. And I try to remind them that I'm for them and I love them. All right, so here's active listening, really, really easy. Number one, pay attention. I know this is stupid, but we don't do it. Pay attention. That means body language, right? Um, there's some of you, when I talk to you, you just stare at your phone. And I'm sure you're listening to me. That was sarcasm, but you're still looking at Pay attention to your body language. That means you turn your body towards them, okay? So it's not like this. So Sean's over here, and uh, she's talking to me. I, I turn towards her. And then I also think with my thoughts. I start thinking about it. It's really easy. Um, how many of you guys ever start uh, formulating your questions or what you're going to say while that person's talking? I do that all the freaking time. But it's really just saying stop. Just you know, stop your mind. Just really listen. Engage what they're saying. Uh, provide feedback. This is really, really, I think, the key here. It's paraphrasing and um, um, asking sharp, clarifying questions. So paraphrasing is this. Sheldon tells me about his life. I'm like, hey, how was it growing up? Um, well, Sheldon said, well, you know, I, I moved around a lot, and, you know, it was, it was okay. I'm like, you moved around a lot? He's like, yeah, like I lived in St. Louis, and I lived in Seattle, and I lived in a lot of, I'm like, wow, that sounds crazy. So you lived all over the place. See, I'm paraphrasing, I'm clarifying. Right? That means Sean, because whatever happening, if somebody ever talks to you, you are half concerned that they don't really want to listen. That's what goes through my mind. Like if somebody says, hey, tell me about yourself, and then they, they start looking around, and you're like, oh, they don't really want to hear this. And then they begin to read something in the conversation starter. But if you start asking clarifying questions, you're like, oh, he really does want to listen. And then you ask more questions, and you're telling them, wow, that must have been really hard. And then all of a sudden, it starts pouring out. Wait, don't interrupt, don't argue. If you disagree with the person, you said, yeah, you know, I raised um, Santa Claus from the dead. Like, they make your conference like, comment like that. It's really easy for you to be like, uh, wait a minute, you know? 
Uh, but it says just wait till the guy's done. Respond appropriately, respectful, not judgy. This is the other thing that cuts people off. When you are in conflict with somebody, it is very, very, very easy to be up in arms. Don't, don't deal with conflict when you're angry. Like when you just can't think straight, that's not the time to have a meaningful conversation because it won't happen well. Does that make sense? So you need to figure out ways to calm yourself down. I don't know, maybe do whatever, go run a mile or something. Um, you probably don't. Um, play a video game. No, video games don't really help you. You can do whatever, go hunting. I don't judge you. You know, but you make sure that you have something that helps you calm down and then you, then you, then you are able to listen without, without judgment. So this is what happens. Chung and Austin are, are in an argument, right? <coughs> Austin is so pissed off at Chung right now. He's really hurt. He wants to go tell anybody, but he's not because he heard Howard Sherman. He's like, okay, I'm not going to go talk. I'm going to go confront Chung by himself. Austin comes to Chung, and Chung recognizes that Austin is really, really upset. Austin's first instinct is, I'm going to put this kid in his place. Step up to me. I will break you. Right, right, Chung? That's how you think? But Chung's like, oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should try what Howard said. So I'm going to try to listen to him. And then Chung says, hey, Austin, like, what's going on? And Austin says, this is how I feel. You did this, and you did this, and you did this. And Chung starts to do active listening. And this is insane, right? This is insane. But Chung says, you know, so, like, that sounds like it really hurt your feelings. He's like, yeah, it hurt my feelings. You made me feel like this. And I did, you know, I never, blah, blah, blah. You know, get off. You know how Austin is. And then he goes off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And then Chung's like, you know, I, I hear you, man. I, I, I think I get what you really sorry that I did that. And what, what is Austin going to do? He's going to melt like a snowman. He's going to melt. Right? And then Austin's probably going to be in a place where he can listen too. And then Chung says, hey, um, I want to talk to you about something too. Uh, you know, like when we had that kind of interaction, I was kind of doing that because of this and it made me feel this way. And then Chung starts to talk to Austin about what Chung Chung did. Or what Austin did. Right? And they're able to make amends because they're both listening to one another. Now, this is what I know about conflict. Conflict is rarely one person to another. Even in a, in a divorce, like if you listen to people that are doing counseling for divorce, uh, the husband cheats on the wife, right? The wife will say, I can't believe you cheated on me. You did this. I can't believe you did this to me. And the husband will say, but you did this. This is why I cheated on you. Right? Very rarely, very rarely is there ever a situation where somebody just does something wrong to you and there's not conflict on both sides. There's not, there's not blame shifting on both sides. So this is the deal. You recognize that okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, um, I'm gonna feel like uh, the other person did wrong, right? You recognize that, and they're gonna feel like you did wrong. So recognize that going in. So there's probably something I gotta deal with too. And because if your goal is to gain your brother, then all of a sudden you're willing to do that. You're willing to do that. And deal with your sin. Uh, don't justify it as excusable. Don't justify why you did what you did is really wrong. Just say, you know what? Somebody like says, "Oh yeah, I, I'm fine." Like, uh, let's say uh, Chung offended Austin. Austin feels like nothing was nothing was wrong, but then Austin does stuff to Chung all day long, making uh, Chung pay emotionally, making Chung feel bad. You know, like all of a sudden Austin's like, "Oh yeah, we're fine," and then he leaves at the party, and everyone comes to his house, and then he, and 
screen through and see off of what all his friends thought about it. They all feel so uncomfortable. That's like Patrick said. Don't be like that. That's sickening. That's disgusting. If you have any type of judgment, you're going to be part of it later. Right? Friendships working out have a lot more to do with commitment than chemistry. If you are committed towards it out. And if both of you are in agreement in this, right? And so in your friendships, you might ask, you know, some, some friends, you might not be that committed to, right? You barely know each other, and the guy does something wrong, and it's probably pretty easy to find a way to refer to him. But if you have deep relationships and you're trying to make those relationships deep, then you say, you know what, I'm committed to you. Yeah? So I know this is not easy. I think most of this has to do with courage more than anything else. You have to have courage to confront your friends. And then you have to have courage to respond in a godly way. And then you have to have courage to um, listen when they respond. Is that good? So I know this message has been really, really powerful, but what I want, I want you to do is I want you guys to succeed in your relationship. If we could pretend to be church and have all these broken churches, uh, broken people in our church, right, we'll, won't see eye to eye, won't deal with crap. But I don't want that. I want you guys to continue to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord, deeper with your relationship with one another, and really be effective. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for every person that you brought here today.